Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 25. We're going to begin reading at verse number 5. Amen. Pray for a special anointing upon us. God's word is anointed. His word's alive and real. If we can just bring that word and capture it, pull it into our heart and the truth of this word into our heart and our spirit, I know that we will be the winner. The book of Second Chronicles 25 and 5. The Bible says, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, according to the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war that could handle spear and shield. Verse six of the Bible says, he hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. I want you to pay careful attention. He gathered 300,000 of his own men from Judah. Then the Bible says that he hired another 100,000 mighty men out of the camp of Israel and then tells us for a 100 talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it, be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy. For God hath given power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, a rather reasonable question, I think, but what shall we do for the hundred thousand talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I want to preach to you today from this thought, the God of much more the God of much more. Amen. He's not a God that can just scarcely meet our needs. <laughs> He's a God that will go beyond what we can ever dare think or ask. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. This morning I was reminded of a specific time, place, and event in my life where the Lord had brought in our opinion, a great blessing in our life. And um, I was very humbled by uh, what I felt like the Lord had, had done. And then 
In addition to that, it just seemed like the Lord added another chapter of blessing that we did not foresee. And um, I was very humbled by that experience. And I, I, I think I'm speaking to people that understand that many times with blessings come certain challenges. So I, I'm not trying to make it sound as though we were just standing under the rainbow. But God had brought some things into our life that we were taken by and then added something to that. And I remember, and I could take you to the very spot, not too very far from where I'm standing here today, where I was just walking along and I said to the Lord, why? I mean, I, I was thankful. I wasn't challenging God. I was thankful for the initial blessing and then somewhat taken by the added blessing and, and, and I was just crying, not just boo-hooing, but weeping before the Lord and I said, why? And I just felt God impress in my spirit two words that silenced me and he said, why not? Why not? I didn't have a comeback for that. I didn't know what to say when the Lord just impressed in my heart why not? Why not? And so I want to speak to you today about a God of much more. There are many accounts in the Word of God where men felt inspired to do something that was really outside of the reach of God's blessing. I think there are a number of, of those examples. I would mention perhaps just a few. And because men, perhaps because men stepped ahead of God, then God had to correct that situation. And so God had to anoint servants with a voice not only of instruction, but sometimes with a voice of correction to deal with that particular situation. We read of such counts when Samuel had to confront Saul about sparing the king and choice things. We think about the prophet Nathan pointing his finger at King David and saying, thou art the man. And then later in David's life, whenever he got excited in his flesh about the possibility of building a temple for the Lord or a tabernacle for the Lord, and, and uh, when he made that request known, he was told, go do what's in your heart. But in the middle of the night, the Lord dealt with the man of God and said, David can't do this. He's got blood on his hands. And so, the next morning, the same man had to knock on David's door and say, you know what, I was wrong and, and you're wrong and we can't do this. And I, I've always admired David's spirit and attitude about that particular incident because David didn't get bitter and indifferent. Uh, he was allowed to know that your son is gonna be the one, it's gonna be your seed that'll build this. And so David just purposed in his heart from that moment forward, I can't, perhaps be the general contractor on this job, but I can contribute to it. And so he dedicated his life and, and alliances that he had made in his lifetime to gather the wood and the, and the things that were necessary that was going to go into the house of Solomon. And uh, then Elijah, when he stood in King Ahab's way and pronounced God's judgment upon his household. And of course, in our story today, this unnamed prophet who just stood and said, 
that, you know, if you want to hire Israel, that's all up to you. You can go into the battle, but you need to realize that God's not going to go with you. And God can set men up and God can take men down. And, uh, and so he's correcting this situation. He came against the arrangement, but he contended that God uh, was God enough for the circumstances and the situation. However, God's blessing was not going to be if he indeed intended to mix that with Israel. And so there's a powerful message to the church right here. At this time in history, Judah was in favor, but Israel was in disfavor with God. Because of this, the mixture of what was blessed and what was unblessed was gonna do little more than just provoke the Lord. And so, to be sure, Amaziah had no desire to be cut off from God. I don't think anybody here has that desire as well. But he understood that he needed the Lord. He got that. He was a leader of men. He was a capable leader of men. And so Amaziah was not just some imbecile that had been chosen to lead by title only, but he was indeed a leader. But there was one matter that had him concerned. He was concerned about that 100 talents of silver that he had paid for those 100,000 Israelite soldiers. So he asked a reasonable question in my opinion. I think most of us would agree that he has already gone out on a limb. He's already spent quite a bit of money here. He's already committed himself. There's 100,000 people that know about this decision. And so this was not something that happened in secret. And so he asked the prophet of God, he said, well, okay. I mean, I'm paraphrasing this. I, I agree. And so we won't get Israel to go with us. But what about the 100 talents? of silver. It seems to me to reveal the very humanness of this man, the humanness of this man. He was worried about uh, these talents of silver and the, and the prophet just seems to turn around and say to him, have you forgot who you're dealing with? <laughs> have you forgot who you're dealing with? This is God, A. B, God doesn't need this 100,000 men he can take care, he is more than able to take care of the situation at hand. And as for the money that you have spent, this is what he said, God will give you much more than this because he is a God of much more. Amen. And so I, I just wanna speak into the hearts of people here today that feel like there are times we have just overinvested ourselves and uh, I can appreciate there, there won't be many amens and I'm guessing there won't be anybody running the aisles right now. <laughs> but all those times that we have put so much effort and energy into things and, and then we ask ourselves, I wonder if anybody will ever notice. Well, let me just tell you that God said, you don't need to worry about what you've invested. I've got a record of that. Don't worry about what you may lose over here because you're gonna gain something back over here. Amen, and so God, he said, is a God of much more. And so when we talk about the word more in the society that we live in today, that word has a, a, a lot of negative, con or at least could have negative connotations, especially when we just ally that word with man because it just seems like that's the nature of man. We just want more, just a little bit more. Some uh, very wealthy man was asked, how much is enough money? And he replied, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, and that just seems to be the nature of man that we want more. However, 
when we consider man and the word more, many times at the root of that uh, are many problems. There are many things that's going to evolve as, a, as an end result of that. However, when you align that word with God, amen, when you align that word with God, that's a powerful promise. He is a God of much more. He can do beyond what the Bible says we can ask or think. Now that's a powerful addition when you use the word or think or the phrase or think that God can do more than we can ask. But he said or think. You may think this is a little odd or strange and I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't plead in it. I wouldn't plead not guilty. But but when I read that scripture and I and I and I, I capture that phrase in my mind about more than we can ask or think, I think of the ability of man and man's ability to think, man's ability to stretch beyond the border of the box. I think about the men who were uh, working on the Tower of Babel. I mean, at this particular moment in history, you think about what a, a tremendous undertaking this was and God looked down and you interpret this ever how you want, but the Bible says if I don't stop them, they're going to accomplish it. And so when you, when, you, when you consider all the things that man can think of, there are many generations represented here today in this auditorium. And so uh, I am safe in saying this. There are generations sitting here this morning that some remember uh, the days before there was electricity. And some remember the days certainly before telephones. And uh, you remember the days before a lot of the amenities that we have right at our fingertips. Amen. Think about it. And where we have been brought to today by just the, the world of technology, all that has, uh, has brought us where we are. Someone thought about doing that. Someone thought about we can, and they didn't. It was more than just a thought on a chalkboard somewhere, more than just a thought in the mind of a man or an imagination, but they had the ability to bring that about. And so when the Lord says that he can do beyond what we ask or think, I want you to realize you've got to draw the tent stakes out of the ground and, and understand that he, he is a God of much more, much more. I want to go back to the story, if I can, for just a moment and consider the thing that sets at the root of this matter. God has always, has always mandated separation for his people. Now, this is not a new message, not at all. This is as old as time itself. Israel uh, is sinful and worldly, and God wanted Judah to stay separated from them. Separation is such an incredible part of the Bible. The subject is not confined to just one book or two books. The subject is not just confined to one division of the Bible, the Old Testament, not in the New Testament, so to speak. Nor is it confined to just a few isolated texts here and there that we just desperately try to connect with some vague dots. There's a common thread that runs all through the word of God from the beginning to the end. And so because many times people have uh, such an ill will in their mind about the Old Testament, I'm just going to journey through the New Testament. Paul was unashamedly uh, mentioned preaching many, many times on the message of separation and its importance to the church. To the Romans, Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't let the world influence you, but you are supposed to be a world influencer. 
Amen. Think about that with me, if you will. To the Corinthian church, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 16, to come out and be ye separate, saith the Lord. To the Galatian church in chapter 1, Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. These are not random texts, ladies and gentlemen, but there is a thread, a message that is saying my people must not be mixed with the world and with sin and carnality. To the Ephesian church in chapter five, he said, be ye not therefore partakers with them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather he said, reprove them. So he didn't just say, don't fellowship with them and mind your own business, but he said the church ought to be reproving such things, that we ought to be taking a stand against such things. Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter two, be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom he said, ye are going to shine as lights in this world. Amen, so, you, so the church is called to be different. The Peter Simon Peter calls us a peculiar people. That doesn't mean a, a group of weirdos by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not suggesting that, nor are the apostles suggesting that. But there ought to be a defined difference between those that claim the name and those who know nothing about the name. Amen. Amen. To the Thessalonians, he said that Paul said, you need to abstain from the very appearance of evil. If anything just gives the appearance of such, then that ought to be enough to just, to just let, I said, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. I want to abstain from anything that even may have the connotation of being wrong. To Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, he said, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may, choose, that he may please him that had chosen him to be a soldier. Amen. And so you're going to you're going to have to choose what side you're on. You can't be on the side of the United States. And then when you get over in some foreign country, cross over and and and, and be in cahoots with the other side. I mean, there there's terminology for that. There, there there's there there's branding for that. There there's serious consequences for that. Why? Because we got to make up our mind whose army we're on and whose fight we represent. Also, he said to Timothy, he said, you need to flee youthful lust. There's an urgency about that command. You need to flee youthful lust. You need to get away, run, get out with all that's within you. To Titus, he said, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We need to live soberly and righteously and godly. You know where? In this present world in this world that is not sober, in this world that is not righteous, in this world that is not godly. And so when you have godly against ungodly and when you have righteous against unrighteousness and you have sobriety against the lack thereof, you're going to have a contrast. The church is going to stand out. And rightly so, and rightly so. Amen. The Bible says in James, Wherefore, therefore, will be a, whoever, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Amen. You, you can't sit at God's table and play footsies under the table with the devil. Not and have his blessings. Not and have his favor upon our lives. John said, love not the world, 
nor the, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. I mean, it, there's no commentary needed that. You can't love two things. And so he said, in order for you to be blessed, in order for us to have this blessing of that much more, then there are some mandates that are upon us. And so he said to Amaziah, you can't mix good and bad and think God's gonna march into, you, into battle with you. He said, you go ahead if that's what you wanna do. You go ahead and go into the battle and you, you go ahead and take your investment of, of, of all these talents and you take these 100,000 men. But there's one thing you need to bear in mind, sir. When you walk in there, God is a God who lifts up and he is a God who can take you down. He's a God that can lift and a God that can abase. You need to remember that. And so, uh, and so we realize, I can't mix this. I can't do this. I've got I've to cut my ties with this 100,000, but he was troubled. What about the money? What about I've invested? What about my name? What about my reputation? And that prophet, I just imagine, Brother Gibson wheeled around on one heel and said, you forgot who you're talking about. You forgot who you're, in, you're representing. You forgot, you forgot who is at the core of all of this. He is God. He is a God of this and he's a God of so much more. Amen. So what are these scriptures I've talked about here conveyed to us? I think that every writer just seems to have this same drive. Be not conformed. Come out. Be separate. Be not partakers. Have no fellowship. You need to abstain. Amen. We need to flee. We need to deny worldliness. Lust. We need to, we need to, to, to make sure that there's a border in our lives, a line in our lives. And, and some, some people, you know, are just saying, well, the church just seems to me like it's just a bunch of rules. And they walk away feeling so negative about the whole manner. But I'm going to tell you, you're looking at the church and taking it out of context. Amen. Amen, you're taking that out of context because I believe that living for God is certainly not all negatives because we don't just take things out of our life, but we pull things into our life. Amen, I didn't just walk away from God and stand in some vacuum. I didn't just walk away from sin and worldliness and then try to live out the rest of my life in some void, but I walked away from sin, but I walked unto him. I walked out of darkness and into his light. Hallelujah. Amen, without question, without question, the church is meant to be in the world. Absolutely. But we're not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And so this concept, that's a concept that is lost to people that either do not know God or it becomes lost to people who become weak in their faith. The church is to be separated from the world, yet we're to witness to the world. So we 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 got to get outside of these four walls. We can't just isolate ourselves if we're going to be effective. We can't be molded by the world. We can't allow uh, our thinking to be their thinking. <laughs> Amen. I, I say this so often. I'm 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 afraid sometimes you may get weary with it. But but I I just let me just shoot the fire the rifle one more time over our head. That if the world is beating a path to something. Before you get in line, stop and think. I mean, if the world is just beating a path to something, then we ought to give, we ought to give pause in our spirit and say, what in the world? Uh, maybe this is not something I should be involved in. And it may not be simple. It may just be weights. Where the Everett Bird preached about that not long ago. But nevertheless, weights, if you get enough of them, they either can become sin or they can do just as much separating as sin itself. 
And so we can't, we can't be ensnared. We've got an exercise and the influence of good over it. We can't compromise. We've got to present a challenge. We can't come down to its level, but we're seeking to bring people up to the level of God's expectation. I've said all the time, many, many times through the years, as the pastor and shepherd of this church, our, our goal here is not to bring the standard of the church down to everybody that walks through the door, but our goal is to bring everybody that walks through the door up to the standard of God. Not to the standard of this church, but to the standard of his word. Amen. Please understand that. The standard of his word. And so, you know, that very word standard just causes a lot of people to cringe because they only, they're, they're just tethered in their mind out to certain places and, and certain things. But I'm going to tell you that God has a standard for all of us in our lives. Yes, he does. There are standards of holiness inside and outward standards of holiness. And so God has always mandated that the church would be his bride and set apart. You know, it's never a wonder. It's never a mystery. There's never any question at a wedding who the bride is. Now, a lot of the other ladies in the party, they're all dressed alike. Men, most of the time, they're dressed alike. We kind of figure the guy closest is probably the best man, but who are all these other cats? You know, we, we, we can kind of figure out who the maid of honor would be, but where do all these other ladies come into the line? We, we may be a little bit foggy on whose role is what and what is what, but there is no doubt. There is no question when the bride walks in. There is no moment like the moment when the bride walks in. I'm not just talking about the music that's different. I'm not just talking about uh, the, the traditions that are different, but I'm just telling you there's something different. Am I right? Amen, there's something special about that. And I'm going to tell you, amen, that, 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 that we live in a world that is a hodgepodge and a mixture of everything. But when the church comes out, when the church walks in, when the bride of Christ walks in, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, but I'm talking about when the bride, when the bride, the bride of Christ, when the, when the children of God walk into the office, there ought to be something different. When we walk into the grocery store, there ought to be something different. When we walk into the hardware store, there ought to be something different. Why? Because we're serving a God of much more, a God that is adequate. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord, can we? Oh, I love you, Jesus. So the command was come out. But then the command was followed by another command that says, go ye into all the world. He didn't say come out and be a bunch of oddballs. Didn't say come out and don't speak to anybody. Didn't say come out and climb up on some big tall pedestal of holier than thou. No, no, no. That's not where the church is supposed to be. Come out, when there is no argument about separation, but he said you've got to be in the world but not of the world. And so you've got to learn how, how that the Spirit of God can cleanse us and protect us. That's why we ought to start our day with prayer. I don't know what I'm going to face today, so I'm asking for a protection. I'm asking for some coating here. I, amen, I need, I need some spiritual Teflon, so to speak, amen, to be applied to my life. I'm going to be in a very grungy and dirty environment. I, I'm going to, I, I don't even know what I may be exposed to today, but God, I'm asking you to just let it bounce off. I'm asking you, Lord, to preserve and protect. I don't want those images in my mind. I don't want those things in my spirit. I don't want those things, Lord, in my heart. I don't want that to separate me from you. 
I read an illustration I rather like yesterday. In many places, you can see muddy and even stagnant pools of water. But through the process of evaporation, the water comes out of these pools, but the dirt is left behind. And the water is pure. God lifts that water from the mud, little by little. God lifts that water from that stagnant pond or pool, just little by little. And then in time, God doesn't just lift the water for no reason. But then in time, God says, I'm going to bless the earth again now. And it's going to rain. But when the rain comes, it's not full of that old mud and sand and dirt and grime. No. God says, I'm going to pull the water out of the mud. But when the rain comes down, there's nothing like that fresh rain. It just washes away the dust, washes away the mire, washes away the grime. Amen. And in that rain, there is no element of mud. There is no element of mire that it's been pulled from. This is what God does. He didn't say, I'm going to pull the rain up out of that pond or the water out of that pond and keep it to myself but he said I'm going to pour it back on the earth and I'm going to bless the earth and that's what God does with the church he brings us out of a polluted world and we leave the, wor- the world the dirt the filth behind but he said now I want you to go in I want you to go in I want you to be a witness I want you to be the light on a hill I want you to be the candle that can't be hid I want you to be the salt of the earth you can do all of those things you can do all of those things as Christ's representation here on this earth but if the church is no different than the world I'll say it one more time people have no reason to change people are not interested in making lateral moves in their lives they want something that will help them and lift them and change them praise the Lord there's one thing that we cannot ever forget about God and that is that God is never surprised by our circumstances I mean, we're just not surprised sometimes, but just downright shocked. Left speechless. When you read throughout the Word of God, men and women were placed in all sorts of situations. Abraham was given a son of promise and then asked to be given that son back by way of sacrifice. But God, as you know the story, provided a ram for the sacrifice in the place of his son. The children of Israel were brought out of Egypt only to immediately be faced with the peril of the Red Sea. What are we going to do? Moses, hold that staff in your hand, and God made a way for them. He didn't just deliver them, but he killed their enemies at the same time. It's hard to talk about peril in the word of God without mentioning Job, a man who had it all and lost it all. He lost everything he owned and he lost it in short fashion. However, in time, God didn't just restore Job, but he restored back double everything that had been taken from him. Daniel was in the lion's den and what a plight it seems, but God had it all under control. And even the king that night that ordered him to be cast in couldn't sleep. And in the, in, the, in the daylight hours, the wee hours of the next morning, even the king had faith in the God that Daniel served and said, I know that God has brought you out. Let's look at the way God compensates. When the king was worried about the 100 talents of silver, the prophet reminded him that God could do much more than this. Ephesians, I've already mentioned 3 and 20, said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. There are a number of promises in the Bible. 
I could not stand here today and name them all. But the psalmist in chapter 34 and verse 10 says, They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing if you just be a seeker of the Lord. Solomon said in Proverbs 3, Honor the Lord and prosperity will be sure. This is not a prosperity message. He just said, honor God. You just honor God. First Samuel 2 and 30, he told Eli, them that honor me, I will honor. Amen. The Old Testament renewed this pledge to its people. The very last closing pages of the last book of Malachi. God promised that he would open the windows of heaven if we would just prove him. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. I'll remind you that the only other time the phrase, talk, the, the Bible talks about open windows is in the book of Genesis when the Bible says that the windows opened and the rain began to come. And so if we have only those two things to hold as an example, when God allowed the earth to be covered from the tallest peak to the lowest valley with water because the rain came out of the window of heaven, Malachi said, that window... That window will I open, and I'll pour that blessing out upon you. One of the best known, perhaps one of the most quoted passages is found in the book of Matthew when the scripture says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. God is trying to say, if you just keep me first, if you just do right, if you'll keep this in order, I will promise and prove to be the God of much more. He is the God of much more. The Lord uses an illustration that should, I believe, draw us into a clear focus of his goodness. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, he said, If ye, I want to talk to every father in this house. He said, I want to talk to every mother in this house and every father. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? So he said, you're evil. You, you were born in sin, shaping in iniquity, and yet in your state of evilness. I don't want to offend you today, but that's what the Lord speaks of us. He called us evil. And he said, if in your evilness you still have enough wherewithal to provide for your children, how much more do you think your heavenly Father can? Amen. God deals with us in abundance. And so we live for the Lord's addition, and living for him is just that. It is addition. God pours out blessings upon his elect. The life story of everyone that is sitting in this room or for that matter, the life story for everyone that's ever been baptized in his name and filled with his spirit is found in the 40th Psalm, verses 1 through 3. David said this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock. He established... <laughs> And he established my goings. Amen. I'm telling you that every person in this building, we could stand and read this in unison. It would all be in agreement that this is where the Lord has brought me from. He brought me from. He brought me out of a horrible pit. 
He brought me out of miry clay, and he set my foot upon a rock, and he established my goings. And verse 3 said, He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't, I'm, I'm going to tell you today, and I think I'll speak for more than just me, but don't feel sorry for me because I'm serving the Lord. Don't feel sorry for me because I'm in the church. No. You need to waste that energy somewhere else. You need to invest that time and that sorrow somewhere else. Amen. I'm serving a God of so much more. So much more. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He's a God of so much more. Verse 2 of this psalm says, He brought me up. And then the Bible says, And he set my feet upon a rock. <laughs> he brought me up. And he set me down. But he brought me out of miry clay. But he set me on a rock. He lifted me up. But he didn't just set me anywhere. He lifted me up. But he set my feet. He set my feet upon a rock. Hallelujah, the old songwriter had it right. He said, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm going to tell you today, you put your hope here. You put your hope there. You invest it wherever you want to invest it. But I promise you, whatever you've invested in outside of God, you've invested in something very shaky. You've invested in something that's very, very weak and fragile. Amen. Jude said you can put your trust in angels, but a third of them denied and walked away. You can put your trust in mighty cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they can be turned to evil and vileness and be destroyed where you won't even find one feather of anything that's left. You can put your, you can put your confidence in men that have been anointed and called of God like Korah, but Korah got something wrong in his spirit against Moses and the earth opened up and swallowed him. I'm going to tell you, you can put your trust in angels and they can fail. You can put your trust in institutions and they can fail. You can put your trust in, in man and man can fail. But he said, but unto him who is able to keep us, that's where we invest. That's where we put our hope. That's where we put our trust. He is the God of much more. But what about what I've given? But what about what I've done? But what about all I've given away? What about all that seems eternally and hopelessly lost? The prophet said, don't you worry about that. He is a God of more, much more. Oh, I love you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, I love you, Jesus. Verse 3, David said, he put a new song in my mouth. Even a praise unto God. He put a new song in my mouth. I'm thankful for him. And I love him today. It would seem to me that this would be enough. But God says, I have much more for you. I can't convey it often enough that we don't have the ability to really relate to the hereafter. 
not, not in all reality. We can't fathom the hereafter. We know very little about it. I know what the Bible describes hell as being fire and brimstone, eternal torment. I, I can't wrap my mind around that. I'm just being honest with you. Heaven is described to us in what some may deem pretty detailed fashion, a city not made with hands, a place where there is no more death, no more disease, no more fear. The scripture talks about no more suffering, no more sorrow. So specific is the scripture that it says, and he shall wipe the tears from their eyes. The houses there are mansions, the walls are of jasper, streets of gold, the air is holy, the light is not the sun, but the light is Jesus Christ, and life is eternal. I can't comprehend that any more than you because I've only known this world. The world that Job says, man, is a few days and just full of trouble. Full of trouble. To every parent in, in this house, you understand, you understand that because in just a few moments or hours, in an absolute state of helplessness, our children are in trouble. It's not days, it's just hours. Where would they be if there was not a mother or father there to feed them, to change them, to protect them? So it doesn't take days to get into trouble. It only takes just a little while to get into trouble. And it's not just, it's not just those helpless moments of infancy, but children have a tendency to get in all kind of stuff. And they're already into it, and it's done. Wheels are set into motion sometimes before you're even aware. And there are parents here that have looked at messes. You thought it'd just be easier to sell the house. <laughs> Buy another one. Heard about the lady years ago. I'm assuming it's just a folk tale. Hopefully it is. And they were paving contractor had come, was repaving the streets in front of their house, and they laid the tar down ahead of the pavers. Her, one of her sons got out and got in the tar, and he just had it from head to toe, and she just looked at him and said, it'd just be easier to have another one <laughs> than it would be to clean you up. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's us. That's just so best describes us. I'm not sure that the Lord doesn't look down and see us. It may not be a literal tar, but I feel like I've created equal messes. I stood before the Lord and said, I don't know how I got into this, and I don't even know how I'm going to get out of this. I was so glad I wasn't serving a God then that was scratching his head and said, well, you've done it now. 
that I was serving a God of much more. A God of much more. There was once a wealthy man, so I'm told, that was talking to a preacher one day and he was just talking about everything that he owned. He says, as far as you can see that way, I own that. And as far as you can see that way, I own that. As far as you can see that way, I own that. As far as you can see that way, I own that. It was then that the preacher pointed to heaven and said, but how much do you own in that direction? You've covered north, south, east, and west, but how much do we own here? How much have we taken care of this matter of business? Amaziah said, but, but, but what about the talents? I've already asked these men, what are they going to think about me? They've already committed. These men went home polishing their, their shields and sharpening their swords. What, what about all of this? The prophet said, well, take them with you if you want. But God's not going with you. You bring them along if you think that's what necessary, is what's necessary. But remember this, if the battle is to be won, it's because God will be with you. And so you better do whatever it takes to take God with you. Save room in your life for God because that's the most important thing. I feel such a prompting in the Holy Ghost. I know this seems like a very pastoral message today. But I feel such a prompting in the Holy Ghost to say this that the most important thing you will ever accomplish in this world will be your relationship with God. I, I, at the risk of just absolutely sounding white-labeled generic, the most important thing you will ever do in life is be saved. Because when you draw your last breath, it will, nothing will matter. <clears throat> nothing will matter then. Nothing will matter. Justin mentioned this scripture to me just yesterday or day before, I think, about the grave. There is no doing in the grave. There's, there's no doing in the grave. There's no knowledge in the grave. There's no, there's no success in the grave. What you're going to do, you're going to have to do now. What I'm going to do for God, I'm going to have to do that right now. And it won't matter. And at the absolute risk of just sounding crass, and I'm not suggesting that you wouldn't be missed or that I wouldn't be missed. I, please don't read too much into this. But when we're gone, outside of our companions and close friends and family, Life just pauses a little bit. It really does. And then everything just springs back right into the norm. 
I know I'm running the risk of offending people here today. I'm not trying to do that at all. And I'm treading as lightly as I possibly can. But that day, all that overtime that caused you to miss church, it won't matter. That promotion that replaced God in your life, that won't count. Those things that we were doing that just wedged God right out of the way and now you're not sure if, you know, if you've come to church regularly is all that important or not. That won't matter. That won't matter. That won't matter. It's a strange thing I see from the vantage point of where I stand. I see healthy people that we can't beg to come to church. And I see unhealthy people that cry because they can't. Amen. They pay supreme prices just to be one half of a Sunday morning service. Are you realizing today that you're bringing something into the camp that God can't bless? Amaziah, bring them if you want to, but God's not going with you. And so we need a God of much more. I need a God of much more in my life. I'll preach to me. I need a God of much more in my life. And so I, I realize from time to time things get in the way and from time to time hindrances come. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about consistencies. When something's always in the way, then you've got to deal with that that's in the way. And I, I made mention of this the other day and someone added something to it. I made mention of my grandfather would say, um, if the ox is in the ditch, um, sometimes the ox gets in the ditch. What was it? Wasn't that you that said that? Okay, what was it? <laughs> yeah, he said, if the ox keeps getting in the ditch, kill the ox and cover up the ditch. There you go. Some shirt sleeve wisdom from yesteryear. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand together. I want to look. One more time and say, what a pity it would be to live in this world and not know the God of so much more. He's not a God that can just barely meet our needs. But if we'll commit all, he'll commit all. <laughs> Amen. Can we lift our hands and love him together? In Jesus' name, I love you today. I love you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.